Good morning again. Would you turn in your Bibles this morning to Colossians chapter 2? And that's going to be page 1,354. If you forgot to bring a Bible this morning, you can certainly find one under the seat in front of you, I hope. And you can read right along with us. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11 this morning. Father, I pray your blessing upon your word. I pray that you would give us understanding. And I pray that as your people, not only would we understand, but we would change. We would be directed by your word. Guard us from error. Lord, keep us balanced. Oh, how your people need to be so strong spiritually today. And I pray, I pray that we would be strong. We give you this time and ask that you would move in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. The ESPN documentary series, uh, 30 for 30, they produced an episode entitled, The Best That Never Was. The Best That Never Was, such an intriguing title. And it's the story of Marcus Dupree. Marcus Dupree was the biggest and fastest running back in high school history. Broke all of the records. He was heavily recruited by all of the major universities. He landed at the University of Oklahoma, which I was really psyched about because I'm a Sooners fan. And I remember watching that guy run his freshman year in 1982. He was an absolute monster well on his way to an amazing collegiate career and no doubt in the pros. Halfway through his sophomore season in 1983, Marcus Dupree disappeared. He left the team. He left the university. Everyone was wondering, where's Marcus Dupree? It was a big story back at that time. And that decision effectively ended his football career before it even got started. And the documentary examines all the factors as to what was going on in his mind. And one of the factors was that he was taking counsel from, of all people, a pastor named Kenneth Fairley. Pastor Fairley became his business manager and his agent and was counseling him in all these really strange ways and he was a toxic influence on that young naive football player part of the reason why his whole football career was spoiled 
the best that never was. Christian, remember what we learned last week. You are complete in Jesus Christ. You have the best. You have absolutely everything you could possibly need in Jesus Christ. Christianity is a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, one that you pursue and love and enjoy, and it's vibrant and it's awesome. There's nothing better. Don't dare let any toxic influence from any pastor or any religious leader, don't let that spoil your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. As our text begins, I want you to notice the incredible blessings that you and I have in Christ. Look at verse 11. Paul writes, In him, Christ, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. And you were buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, Christian, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Now, there are so many blessings that you and I have in Christ Jesus. And Paul mentions a few. Paul tells us that when we become Christians, we are placed in Christ. So the moment that you gave your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, the moment that you asked Jesus to be your Savior, you were joined to Jesus Christ. You were identified with him. You were baptized in to him. You are in Christ. And as such, you participated in all the events of the cross. In Christ. In the eyes of God. So, Paul says, when you gave your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, when you placed your faith in him, you died with Christ on the cross. In verse 11, Paul mentions circumcision, and he's using that symbolically to speak of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It says in verse 11, in Christ you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. It's symbolic. You died with Christ. Verse 12 says that you were buried with him. 
So the moment you receive Christ, you're joined to him, and the old you died and was buried with Jesus. The old sinful you is dead in Christ Jesus. And then on the third day, Jesus rose. And we're told here that you in Christ were raised with him. So a new you was born. The old you, dead. The new you is alive in Jesus Christ. And Paul does mention baptism. Baptism is a word that literally means to be immersed in or to be identified with. Water baptism is an ordinance of the church. And we use that as a picture of what happens to a person when they receive Christ. When you go under the water, that's a picture of you dying. When you come up out of the water, that's a picture of the new you rising. So, in Christ Jesus, you are a brand new creation. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Jesus put it this way. You become born again. And that is true by the power and grace of God in your life. You can't earn it. You just put your faith in Christ and that spectacular miracle happens to you. Now, notice in verse 14 that in Christ, your debt to the law has been completely wiped out. The end of verse 13 says, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So the handwriting of requirements, that's a reference to the law. The law of Moses in the Old Testament. The Mosaic law, all of the dietary restrictions, the civil and ceremonial and ritualistic details of the Mosaic law. And then all of the moral commands as well that you find in the Old Testament, which, by the way, are repeated in the New Testament. The law is contrary to us. It's against us. You want to know why? Because we can't keep it. The law was given to prove beyond any shadow of a doubt that all of us are sinners. We're lawbreakers. We have this big stack of IOUs that we owe to God because we've broken all of these different laws. Well, When you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, all of your IRUs are nailed to the cross. They're wiped out. You are forgiven of all your trespasses. And even more than that, the whole idea of living under the law is annulled. It's been wiped away. It's no longer valid. J.B. Phillips' translation catches the idea. 
He says, he has forgiven you all your sins. Christ has utterly wiped out the damning evidence of broken laws and commandments which always hung over our heads and has completely annulled it by nailing it over his own head at the cross. So in Christ Jesus, you are in a grace system. You are no longer under the law. You are a child in the family of God by grace. Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly and then died for all the lawbreakers so that lawbreakers who receive him as Savior could become true sons and daughters of God. So you don't live under any kind of a law system. You're complete in Christ Jesus. And then notice what else Jesus accomplished at the cross. Verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Principalities, powers, speaking of the satanic kingdom, Satan, all the demons, the hordes of hell. Jesus defeated them at the cross. It says he disarmed them. You know, literally that word means he stripped them bare of all their power. And not only that, he made a public spectacle of them, humiliated them. The picture here is of a Roman triumphal procession, parade, when a Roman conqueror would conquer a group, they'd come back to the city and they'd have this big parade. And at the end of the parade are all of the victims, all of the enemies that they defeated. And they were just paraded about. That's what Jesus did to the demons of hell and Satan at the cross. So in Christ, you are completely victorious over all that. Satan and all of the demons have been stripped of their power in your life as a Christian. Now they're still alive and they're very active and one day they're going to get their judgment. And if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, you are an open target. But if you are a Christian, the enemy has been disarmed. So I want you to think about all of this. In Jesus Christ, you're complete. You're a brand new person. All of your IOUs have been nailed to the cross. The enemy has been completely disarmed in your life. You have a relationship with God. You're a child in his family. You have complete and open access 24-7 to God in prayer anytime you want. You have the Holy Spirit living inside you. And according to Paul, the objective of your life as a Christian is to pursue Jesus. Grow in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ.
walk with him. Seek to live a life that's pleasing to him because you love him. It's wonderful. It's awesome. It's fantastic. This personal, privileged relationship that you have with God through Jesus Christ. Something to enjoy and pursue for the rest of your life. So Paul says you have all that. Don't let anyone spoil that. And so now Paul's going to go on to mention three types of spoilers that you need to be alert for. Spoiler number one, listen carefully, the legalist. The legalist. Look what he says in verse 16. In light of everything that we've just saw, verse 16, let No one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Beware of the legalist. Beware of anyone who tries to take you back to a law-keeping system of Christianity. Where your whole Christian life becomes about what you eat, what you drink, what days you observe, what days you don't observe, what little religious hoops that you're going to go through. In the early part of church history, there were false teachers called Judaizers. And they would go into churches like the church that was located at Colossae. And they would tell the Christians there that, hey, it's not enough to give your life to Jesus Christ. It's not enough to put your faith in Christ Jesus. You also need to go back to the Old Testament law. Go back to the dietary restrictions. Go back to the Sabbath days. Go back to all of that. In fact, if you're a Gentile guy, you need to get circumcised. And if you do that, then you'll really be saved. Now, we know that's absolute bunk, right? Because we get saved, how? Through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But some of these guys would also say, okay, if you want to be a real spiritual Christian, one of the elite, top drawer, then yeah, give your life to Jesus and have that relationship with him. But go back to the law. Observe the law. Do all these things. And you'll become special. You'll become more favored. And Paul said, no. Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. Let no one, no pastor, no elder, no deacon, no Sunday school teacher, no good friend who's a Christian and might be well-meaning. Do not fall for that. The legalist, spoiler, 
likes to add a stringent regiment of religious acts to your life that he or she says will grant you greater favor with God. They quantify spirituality based on adherence to spiritual disciplines that they deem most important. And unfortunately, this becomes the basis for pride and judgmentalism. The legalist, though pretending to be humble, will actually be very prideful. Look what I do. Look at all the stuff I do for God. Look at my discipline. And the legalist will also become very judgmental. Oh, that poor guy over there, he's, what a poor sap. He's not doing anything. He does, he's not as spiritual as me. He doesn't keep the disciplines that I keep. And I would add also to what a legalist will experience, a complete loss of joy. Because when Christianity is all about keeping all these different laws and regulations and disciplines, you lose the joy of just simply walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, they will come in many shapes and sizes. There's been a lot of trivial things in the church over church history. I mean, years ago, I remember a guy saying, you can't be a real Christian unless you wear a suit and tie to church. I'm so glad that one's gone, aren't you? (laughs) Or you can't, you know, you can't be a real Christian woman if you wear makeup. You know, if you make yourself look nice. People with tattoos... No, can't be Christians. You can't play cards. You can't dance. You can't go to movies. In fact, years ago at a local church, I heard about a young man who showed a gospel movie to the youth group. An elder found out about it. He went in, shut the projector down, admonished the guy in front of the youth group, turn that off, and This guy said to the elder, but just last week you showed slides. You had a slideshow in your service. And this guy literally said, if it's still fine, if it moves, sin. You can show slides, but when they start moving, you're getting into sin. Ridiculous things like that. There can be other more serious things. There are Christians that say you need to keep the Sabbath day today, Saturday, seventh day. And real Christians will keep the Sabbath day on the seventh day Adventists. You ever heard of them? There are people, and I agree, that we hold church on the first day when Jesus rose from the dead. But there are Christians that will get real heavy on how you treat the Lord's Day. I've heard Christians say you shouldn't watch any games on TV or have any fun on Sunday. Otherwise, you're sinning. All these heavy rules and regulations that people come up with. Now listen, if you have your personal convictions in your personal walk with Jesus and you and Jesus have been over it, And the Lord has shown you different things that you want to do and need to do in your life, in your personal walk with Christ. Go for it. 
but don't you dare make that gospel truth for everyone else. Let everyone else work those issues out in their own walk with Jesus. But don't tie up people with all of your rules and regs. Okay, now you might say, but what about all the moral commands in the New Testament? And I mentioned how there's moral commands in the Old Testament. Most of them are repeated in the New Testament. There are sins that we are to avoid. Absolutely as Christians, right? There's activity that we should not be engaged in. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should encourage people to do the right thing and call people out when they're in sin. And the way I read the Bible, most sin is pretty clear cut. Lying, stealing, lusting, greed, murder. But even with the moral part of the law, listen, if you're a born-again Christian, all that is tethered to your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't seek to lead a pleasing life in order to get saved. You seek to lead a pleasing life because you love Jesus and you're so grateful for what he's done in your life. And you're going to obey him A true, genuine, born-again Christian will have a broken heart over doing anything that would displease the Lord. You would not want to engage in it. And, And if you fail and mess up, you come right back to the Lord and you confess and you repent and you turn a corner. It's tied to your personal relationship. Okay, what about... Um, disciplines, spiritual disciplines. You know, as Christians, we're supposed to grow, right? Absolutely. And the New Testament tells us about all the things that we should be doing in our lives to grow. Read our Bibles, pray, attend church, serve, all of these different things. And most certainly in the church, we should admonish and encourage one another to do those things. As a pastor, I would, I would recommend that you read your Bible every day. But if I, as a pastor, said, you know, in order to be real spiritual, you need to read your Bible for exactly 45 minutes every day, beginning at 530. And you need to memorize three verses every week. And that's really going to get you in good with God. You'll be like me. By the way, I don't do that. (laughs) See, the legalism happens in the specifics. And a lot of people will give specifics well-meaning. Here's what works for me. Here's what I do. And that's cool. And you can share, but always share as a recommendation, not as a law. As your pastor, I will tell you that you need to pray regularly. Every day. I would recommend in the morning. But I won't make that a law. And if I say, you need to pray exactly 45 minutes every day. On your knees on broken glass. 
That's legalism, right? That's man-made. So that is all tethered back to your personal relationship with Christ. We read our Bibles to get to know Jesus better. We pray because we love hanging out with Jesus. We go to church because we love hanging out with Jesus and his people. We serve because Christ wants us to. It doesn't become this religious thing that you do. It's born out of a beautiful, personal, vibrant walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. That needs to motivate every part of your Christian life. The person who gets involved in that will not flourish as a Christian. The Scottish preacher John McNeil liked to tell about an eagle that had been captured when it was young. The farmer who snared the bird put a restraint on it so it couldn't fly, and then he turned it loose to roam in the barnyard. It wasn't long till the eagle began to act like the chickens, scratching and pecking at the ground. This bird that once soared high in the heavens seemed satisfied to live the barnyard life of the lowly hen. You were not made to live that life of legal. You're you're made to soar. John Bunyan said this, and I love this. He said, run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. And that's absolutely true. Jesus changes your life. And you walk in this life connected to him. Enjoying him. So beware of the legalists. Okay. Spoiler number two. The mystic. The mystic. Look at verse 18. Let no one cheat you of your reward. Taking delight in false humility and the worship of angels. Intruding into those things which he has not seen. Vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. And not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments. Grows with the increase that is from God. Beware of the mystic. Beware of the person who places too much emphasis on mystical practices and beliefs. So in those days, there were false teachers that would be very, very heavy on mystical experiences. Verse 18 says, as they had a false humility and they worshipped angels. The idea is that some of these guys thought, I'm so humble. I can't go to God. I'm, I'm way too simple. I, just, I can't go. I need to go through a hierarchy of angels. That's what the Gnostics taught. So you've got to identify angels, find out who's next in line on the ladder, and work your way up to God. And what they did, they got fascinated with angels. They worshipped angels. They also thought a whole lot about demons. They were also very heavy on visions and dreams. 
says in verse 18 that these guys are intruding into the things which he has not seen. Now, the NIV reads, they go into great detail about the things that they have seen. You say, well, what's the difference? Well, you put that together and you have some guys that are always seeing visions and dreams. Paul says they're not dreams and visions from the Lord. They're dreams and visions that they've come up with. And they go into great detail about it. And they pretend to be real humble. They got that false humility, but they become puffed up in their minds. And they try to push everyone towards this mystical, this obsession with angels, demons, visions, dreams, out-of-body experiences. Okay, visions and dreams are real. I've had visions and dreams. People have had visions and dreams in the scripture. I know lots of Christians who have had visions and dreams. But I will tell you this, they're rare. God does not primarily speak to his people through visions and dreams today. You know how he primarily speaks to his people today? Right here in black and white. So every now and then I'll meet a Christian who seems like they have a dream or vision every night. Every time you see him at church, Pastor, you want to hear about the latest vision? And I'll tell you what, that gives me red flags. Because when you get a vision and a dream from the Lord, it's pretty spectacular. Don't be obsessed with the visions and the dreams. Let's talk about angels and demons. Okay, they're real, right? We know that. Spiritual warfare is real, right? But we're not to be obsessed with demons, angels, spiritual warfare. Every now and then I'll meet Christians who are looking for demons under every rock. In every sector of their lives. In fact, there are some Christians that believe... Uh, that you can, you can have a demon of a sin as a Christian. That demons somehow attach themselves to you. And they talk about the demon of gambling or the demon of lust or the demon of greed or the demon of whatever. And Christians need to be delivered from demons. And there are these deliverance Ministries. In fact, I knew a couple that was a part of a demon deliverance ministry, and they would go and try to deliver Christians from demons. Did it for many years, and eventually their marriage fell apart. They were divorced, and they blamed their divorce on the demons that they had delivered the other Christians from. What did we just read in verse 15? Christ disarmed principalities and powers. If you're in Christ Jesus, they're disarmed. A Christian cannot be possessed by a demon. You know why? Because you have the Holy Spirit living inside you, and the Holy Spirit will not share his house with a demon. We are not, 
as Christians to pursue all of that mystical activity. You're not to pursue demons. You're not to pursue angels. You're not to pursue visions and dreams. You know what you're to, who are you to pursue? Christ. Your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I promise you, as you walk with Jesus Christ and your knowledge of him grows, he'll give you visions and dreams at the right time. And he will help you to identify all of the spiritual warfare that's needed. But my friend, do not turn the Christian walk into a mystical smorgasbord of bizarre activity and thinking. Amen? It's a walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, one more spoiler, and this is very, very similar to the legalist. Look at verse 20. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch. Do not taste. Do not handle. Which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So here Paul is speaking about the ascetic. Beware of the ascetic. Asceticism. What is that? Asceticism is severe, harsh self-discipline and avoidance of all forms of any type of worldly indulgence for religious reasons. It's a belief that if you really want to please the Lord, then you need to remove yourself from everything in society. Separate out of society. Take no enjoyment in any of the things of this world. Don't touch, don't handle, don't taste. And they even taught that you need to be real harsh with yourself. It mentions their neglect of body. Self-disciplining yourself in order to sort of make yourself submissive to God and you get your eyes off yourself. That's the way it goes. That's the thinking. This was very, very popular in the Middle Ages. With the birth of the monasteries and the monks. The Christians got it in their idea, and, and even before the Middle Ages, this was a, a big part of the church. They got in their idea, if we remove ourselves from this world, if we put ourselves in you know, harsh conditions, we're going to be more pleasing to the Lord. So you had monks that would take vows of celibacy, vows of poverty, move out of society into monasteries and live very harsh, rigid lifestyles. Thinking that that would make them better Christians. And there were some crazy things that were done. The Christian mystic 
anesthetic origin took literally the words of Jesus about becoming eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom and he castrated himself. Christian monks have slept on boards, worn hair shirts, exposed themselves to extremes of heat and cold. One guy lived on the top of a pillar for 25 years. Some have gone without bathing, fasted, remained celibate in their attempts to deal with the flesh. In some Christian circles, they practice self-flagellation, flogging oneself on the back with whips or other instruments that inflict pain. Thinking, that's going to make me a better Christian. Jesus Christ never commanded that. It says in verse 23, that's a self-imposed religion. And it doesn't work. He, Paul says there's a, there's a hint of wisdom to it. Like, hey, if we just remove ourselves and everything's going to be okay and we're real harsh and disciplined with ourselves, we're going to win the battle with sin. It's not going to work because everywhere you go, there you are. And you have that sinful nature and you have that struggle. And a lot of times getting yourself into that type of a thinking will make the struggle even worse. Story is told of two monks on a pilgrimage who came to the ford of a river. And there they saw a girl dressed in all her finery, obviously not knowing what to do since the river was high and she didn't want to spoil her clothes. Without much discussion, one of the monks took her on his back carried her across and put her down on dry ground on the other side. Then the monks continued on the way, but the other monks started complaining. Surely it isn't right to touch a woman. It's against the commandment to have close contact with women. How could you go against your rules as monks? And the monk who carried the girl walked along silently, but finally he remarked, you know, I set her down by the river an hour ago. Why are you still carrying her? You can act all monkey (laughs) and try to get yourself out of society and get yourself more holy, but it's your thoughts, it's your heart. You know the only way to successfully deal with the sin issue? You put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and he saves you and you become joined to him like we talked about. And then you cooperate with Christ day by day and he will give you victory over sin in your life as you walk in his spirit. You will not have victory in your own sheer strength. You have victory in your direct dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about asceticism today. I don't think it's real popular. Does anybody know anybody tempted to become a monk? I don't know a lot of people like that. Although in some denominations, as you know, there's the vow of celibacy. But, you know, I, do, I have met some Christians who, who tend to, you know, really frown upon anything that you might enjoy in this world. Shouldn't go overboard on food. 
or some Christians think that sex is dirty. It's sinful. Listen, God gave us wonderful things to enjoy in order within the proper boundaries. Sex within the context of marriage between a man and a woman is beautiful. To be enjoyed. There are many things in this life that we can enjoy. And you know, I meet some Christians who think they always got to be suffering. If I'm not suffering for Jesus Christ, then I'm not doing enough. And you meet them and they're always... How are you doing today, man? Just suffering for Jesus. <laughs> Every day. Gang, look. Jesus came to give you abundant life. And in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, there is so much to enjoy. Day by day. In basic living. According to how he defines it. Don't let that spoil your Christian walk. Beware of the legalist. Beware of the mystic. Beware of the ascetic. And you know you have to pray as a Christian on these things. It's very important that you find out how to be in well balance with those things. Because I think as Christians we want to be the best Christians hopefully, that we can be, and we want to do things that will make us better Christians. And, and there's things like disciplining ourselves in some of the spiritual growth. and you know, We want to do our part and, and go for it. Make a plan. Just don't let it become a law. Just don't let it become something that imprisons you. Find balance in all of these areas in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. So getting back to that Dupree, Marcus Dupree's story, how sad that a religious leader spoiled that man's football career. But how infinitely more tragic if a religious leader spoils your walk with Jesus Christ. Don't allow it. Father, I pray that you would give us balance, that as we walk with you, as our relationship with you grows day by day, that you would lead us in such things. Give us great wisdom and discernment. Get us healthy and keep us healthy. And I pray, Lord, that we would take to heart whatever issue that you pointed out in our lives individually.
And then I'd love to pray for anyone here this morning who has not entered into a personal relationship with you. Maybe that's you. Your head is bowed, eyes closed, and you've always thought of Christianity as just another religion, one of the many religions that you can pick. All the different things that you have to do, you know, to be religious. Please understand Christianity is not like that. You have a God who loves you. You have a God who sent his son to die on the cross for your sins and rise again the third day so that you could be forgiven of all your sins. You could become a child in his family so that you could come to know him. And you can walk with him and he will absolutely change your life now and forevermore. If you have not yet entered into that personal relation, I would like to invite you to do that right now. A prayer, a cry of the heart, an admission of guilt that you're a sinner and that you need a savior. That's you just with, just right there. Call upon the name of the Lord. Say, Lord Jesus, I call upon you to be my savior. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. Be my savior. Be my Lord. Thank you for dying for me and rising again. Join me to you. Fill me with your spirit. Make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit. Amen. Would you stand with me?